Well, the humanitarian cost of Russia's invasion is also growing by the day. Reports of long lines of cars, including Varvera, our previous guest, talking about people she knows trying to leave the fighting or trying to flee the fighting towards safer ground. Cars inching their way towards safety. Varvera telling us one of someone she knows they're sleeping in a roadside stall tonight, uh, a family, because they're trying to get out and there's just no way they can go quickly. Uh, most of them heading to the west of the country, away from the fighting. Also into neighboring states, thousands of Ukrainians have already crossed into neighboring countries uh, such as Poland, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, Moldova, Slovakia. Now, today, Canada's immigration minister, Sean Fraser, says our government is preparing for potential influx of refugee claims from Ukraine. They've been preparing for weeks. He says consular services are set up in neighboring countries and resources have been positioned to start receiving and processing applications from Ukrainians quickly. Uh, I do have confidence that we're prepared to deal with this more quickly than we have uh, ever before. Uh, and because we've been preparing for a number of weeks, uh, I feel that we're well equipped to deal with a potential influx of applications in a short period of time. That's Canada's Immigration Minister, Sean Fraser. Well, Canada has opted to prioritize immigration applications from Ukraine, has also set up a hotline to answer Ukraine-related immigration questions. One of the countries on the front lines tonight is Moldova, uh, one of Ukraine's neighbors, already seeing an influx of people leaving Ukraine. And that's where we find Globe and Mail correspondent Nathan Vanderclip. Um, Nathan, if you're watching from afar, it's been so hard to make sense of what exactly is unfolding. You were in Ukraine. You're now in Moldova. What has the last 48 hours been like for you? Well, of course, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe it's been less than 48 hours at, at, at this moment. But yesterday morning, much of Ukraine woke up to explosions. And since then, you know, we've seen tanks rolling across the border. And then sort of everything has sort of escalated from a whole bunch of different fronts. Um, we now have uh, Russian forces advancing on Kiev. Uh, we've had paratroopers coming in. We have had amphibious forces coming in from the sea. Uh, we have heavy artillery moving in from different parts of the country, fierce battles to, um, uh, you know, at, at some of the critical junctures around Kiev, uh, as well as around sort of the, the, the northern areas uh, or the areas north of uh, the Crimean Peninsula, uh, which has become a major beachhead for coming in. And, and so just Tremendous violence, attacks on kindergartens, um, attacks on ships, cargo ships. Um, it, it is, it is, I mean, it's war. You were in Odessa uh, recently, uh, a city that, uh, that, that Vladimir Putin has spoken about uh, specifically uh, in the past. What was the mood? What was the sense of, of the people there? I mean, I know that this, a lot of people may have felt this day wasn't going to come after years of. Of, of war in the east and years of of sort of uh very close calls but no no invasion right and right up until the first missile struck i think that was the general view it was it was a very kind of discombobulating place to be because you were listening to uh the increasingly urgent warnings that were coming from the white house and then being on the ground and seeing life is normal, you know, families out walking on the beach and bars full of people and all these sorts of things. Uh, because I think there was just kind of an inability to conceive that this, what has happened could be possible. And then suddenly it was, and, you know, it, you know, within hours, there were lines at ATMs, there were lines at gas stations. And then suddenly there were ATMs that were bereft of cash and gas stations that had gone dry 
And very quickly, of course, it was a country at war. And, the, the, you know, the lines are now queuing up over many kilometers at the border, uh, the borders with, uh, with Ukraine's neighboring countries as people try to get out. You're in one of Ukraine's neighboring countries now. What was that experience like moving from Odessa to, to Chisinau? So uh, I, I actually went through Romania, which I think proved to be, uh, in terms of ease of logistics anyways, fortunate because that, that, that route, was, when I went yesterday, uh, was still um, relatively passable. Um, I, I was speaking with people here today who came up from Odessa who talked about 50 kilometers of two-way highway where instead of one lane in either direction, both lanes were heading up towards Moldova. Uh, we've seen statistics from the government here. That was this morning. Presumably it's gotten longer since then that at least one of the border crossings had eight kilometers of cars backed up at it. People coming in between 8 a.m. this morning and 3 p.m. The number of Ukrainians that had crossed into Moldova um, had increased by uh, what from 10,000, just under 10,000 to 16,000 people. So, uh, you know, there is a, a real movement here and it's been complicated uh, by a rule that was put in place by the government of Ukraine yesterday. Um, that men of fighting age, up to the age of 60, um, cannot leave the country now. Um, so there have been families that have been split apart where um, they came together as a family to the border and the men were turned around and sent back. We've seen images of, of, of fathers bidding their, you know, their wives and children goodbye. Um, you know, heart, obviously heart-wrenching images. Um, how are the neighboring countries such as Moldova preparing for what looks to be a mass arrival of Ukrainian, of Ukrainians fleeing the fighting. Well, I can tell you here in the capital of Chisinau, the um, uh, the hotels are already full. I, I, I checked in this evening. I had a reservation, fortunately, but I think there were two or three hotels left to make reservations when I reserved earlier today. But the person I checked in behind was told they had the last room in the hotel, and the people at the hotel said every other hotel in the city is full. Um, they have a, a center here, a welcome center here. Um, and it's not full yet because I think there has been uh, hotel capacity, which is obviously not there anymore. Um, but what, what I found really striking was the degree of generosity on display here. Now, I guess we'll see how long that lasts. Um, but I went to a house uh, today that's owned by a charity, and they put out a call for donations. And it was just a staggering, absolutely staggering amount of stuff that was showing up. I mean, they had, they had quite a large backyard and the entire thing was full and full, I would say, in some places to a height of 10 feet with stuff, with food, with blankets, mattresses, an umbrella stroller, um, all sorts of things that people were just bringing in, in a really steady load um, as, as donations. So for now here, there, there is a, a, a tremendous spirit of hospitality. Part of that, by the way, is because uh, I think people in Moldova um, already have an experience with Russia invading and, and, and taking part of their territory. And there is a fear that given what's happening in Ukraine now, that they could be next. And just to, for listeners, to, Moldova is by no means a wealthy country, um, one of the poorest in Europe. Um, so the generosity there even more remarkable to that sense. Is there a sense in a country such as Moldova that, that Vladimir Putin, that this invasion may be heading their way as well? 
Absolutely. Yeah. People saying straight out that, uh, you know, I, there was, there were some people I, I, I met up with a couple of guys. I was at this refugee center today and I was interviewing someone who had come across, they were, uh, I think a religious group, uh, family group, and they had come in three cars, one of which was a PT cruiser, another, which was like a, just a Renault station wagon, not big cars, standard cars, three cars. And they had 31 children and five adults, 36 people in total in three cars, just remarkable. Anyways, as I was talking to them, um, just the two men came up and said, hey, listen, we've got a big house. We've got three rooms. We could take three families. And, and you're seeing some of that. One of those men then said, yeah, we are at the same time as we're um, offering to host people. We are also thinking about where our next steps could be ourselves uh, in case that becomes necessary. I'm with Nathan Vanderclip, Global Mail correspondent in Moldova tonight after spending time in Ukraine, including in Odessa. Uh, you and Mark wrote a really fascinating story about sort of what has been seen as a much clearly the Ukrainian military is outgunned here by a much larger uh, Russian force. Uh, but there was one story about an, an island off the coast of, of Ukraine that has sort of captured the imagination there of its uh, of its resilience, so to speak. Uh, tell me a bit about that, if you could. Yeah, uh, and, and you may have to tell me uh, what what your standards for language are on your okay. show before I proceed. <laughs> it's a family show. It's a family show, but okay. yeah, we get, we, we get that we get the hint too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Um, yeah. So it's uh, so there's there's this very very small island. It's 0.17 square kilometers in size. Uh, that is called Snake Island, and it basically lies off the shore of the um, kind of ex- south western extremity mm-hmm. of ukraine at the border uh with romania um and um and, and it's very very small but it's of course important in terms of uh, ukrainian territory just because of where it lies uh it's been guarded by border guards it has been seen for months as as, as potentially important in defensive terms um and uh there were a number of border guards there and a russian uh, navy ship showed up and um, and and there was actually there's multiple videos of the exchange that happened. It all happened over loudspeakers. Um, there's video of it, and it's it's such a small island. There's this warship offshore. The warship is, I mean, it's not bigger than the island, but it's also not that much smaller because that island is so small. Um, and you just have loudspeakers going back and forth uh, because the, the, the this warship is so close. And and you hear sort of from the Russian side uh, a male voice say, "I suggest you surrender your weapons and capitulate." Otherwise, I will open fire. Do you copy? And then the Ukrainians uh, respond back and they've got sort of an open mic with their uh, with their loudspeaker. And, you know, one of them says, this is it. Should I tell him to go F himself just in case another man says? And then the first man comes back on the loudspeaker, says Russian warship, go yourself. Mm. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a remarkable show of defiance, which unfortunately ended in, in sort of the devastation of the island. 13 border guards were killed. Uh, but the video of what has taken place um, ha- has become, I think, a real rallying cry uh, for Ukraine's efforts to uh, resist the Russian attack that the president of Ukraine has specifically mentioned. The 13 men said that they will be awarded as, as heroes of Ukraine um, and, uh, and, and, you know, across the Russian speaking world, that, that sort of that ripost, the Russian warship, go yourself has been, um, uh, has been, has been spread on spo- uh, social media, people making it their profile pictures and that sort of thing. Nathan, is there a sense, and I think President Zelensky mentioned this, uh, on Friday, is there a sense once again, that Ukraine 
despite all the tough talk coming out of the West, that Ukraine has been pretty much left to itself to fight the Russians here? Well, that's certainly the sense among um, some Ukrainians. There have been, of course, some shipments of arms, including actually some some quite deadly weaponry that's come from uh, the U.S. and others. Canada has sent um, guns and ammo. Um, but there's also been, you know, some shipments of, for example, helmets. Um, and, and people here find that quite laughable. One of the people I spoke with here in Moldova tonight, a Ukrainian man, I asked him, you know, well, would you go back and fight? Because he got out just before men were no longer able to get out. Um, and he said, well, why, why would I go back and fight? How, how are we going to be able to, you know, resist uh, a military force as powerful as Russia without genuine support from Western countries and genuine support in the form of the kinds of weaponry that could allow Ukraine to stage a proper defense i guess that i mean what we're really looking for now is and you mentioned this earlier is that is that it's kiev that clearly the, the russians have gone after is there any sense there of what from anybody of what the next month will look like if in fact the the government falls and and russia takes charge well, I think we've seen uh, examples in other areas of Russia installing puppet governments. Um, what I, I mean, I think one of the big questions is: Would uh, Russia be satisfied with that um, in terms of uh, asserting political control through a proxy and allowing to Ukraine to remain a de facto independent country? Um, or, given what Putin has said. Uh, questioning whether Ukraine has a real sort of history of being of, of, of being an independent nation, whether that is in fact an indicator that he intends to make his own borders encompass what is now um, an independent country. Nathan Vanderclip, thank you so much for your time tonight. You're welcome.